to answer the question, the mental and mental and psychology state I have found is the one that can trump the other two. Meaning, you can have somebody that's physically fit, eats really well, but does not know how to manage what's happening mentally and emotionally. And we can talk about that too, because there's lots of things out there that I have not found to be helpful for people. And they're a wreck. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to Show Social Compost. I'm Diego, together with my co-host, Sean Luke. Sean Luke, how you been? I wouldn't say struggling. It's just been really busy at the moment. I know. But, There's uh, big happening next week. But. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm really excited with our guest, guest for today because I've been on a, on a, wa a water diet. For, for the whole month of October. I've done this last time in 2019, as it is in October as well, to kind of prep for the conference and get my focus in line. And I had to go to a, a birthday party past weekend. I had to go to a birthday party and I went in the fitting room and I looked at myself and I was like, yeah, it's no more stretch t-shirts for me. That's, that's just not happening for the, for the next three years. And then I realized like, okay, yeah, last time I did the, the water challenge for 30 days, just drinking water alone. I was also active. I was also at least doing two runs a day, a week, not a day, a week and doing sports still a little bit, not actively, but a little bit more than I'm doing now. And our guest for tonight, he kind of, when I put out the offer, like, Hey, who's interested? He was one of the first and he was like, Hey, I want to talk about this. And I was like. Yeah, I want to talk about the difference between health and vitality, and I, I want to know what I can do better. So I might be a little selfish. I haven't discussed it with Diego, but I'm going to invite this guest on to Social Conference because I want to talk about health. And if I want to talk about health, hopefully there will be other people who are excited as well. So without further, further delay, I would like to invite Matthew Lamosco. Welcome, Matthew. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. We're happy to have you, Matt. And speaking of health, Chan Luke, I'm actually happy you have someone who's an expert on the matter because, you know, as you know, I bet that last year I had a routine kind of dropped off because of all of travel. And a few weeks ago, I think two weeks ago, I started my exercise routine again and I was sore for a week. And <laughs> yeah, I, I'd love to get uh, Matthew's thoughts uh, on that as well and, you know, what's overrated. and on the invitation, on the topics we wanted to talk about, Matthews put in something, you know, why health is overrated and health in quotation marks. So could you unpack that for us when people think about health, what do you mean it's overrated? So much to say here, but I will, I will try to answer the question as, as succinctly as possible. So when you actually look up the definition of health, it's the absence of disease or illness. And so I personally, I grew up in the medical model. My dad was a doctor. My mom was a nurse practitioner. So I grew up in this medical health model. And what I realized through my experiences, which I'm sure we'll talk about here today, is that this health model 
this paradigm of health, the Mecca, the destination is I am don't, I'm not sick. Yeah, it, it's very much like, okay, if you're not sick, then I'm healthy, right? Yeah, I, 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 I'm like, please tell me there's more than that. Like, like, it can't be that's the goal is to just not be sick. And so what I realized through my journey, I mean, I had orthopedic surgery, four or five orthopedic surgeries for the age of 22. And, and I realized that the health paradigm was, was really designed to keep people from being sick and avoid illness, but it could never, ever give us the experience of vitality, of living life to the fullest, of vigorous health and, and energy and wellness and meaning and purpose. And that's what's so interesting when you look at the definition of vitality versus the definition of health. They're very different things. So when I say health is overrated, I, I definitely don't want to demean people that are struggling with sickness because I'm sure they're like, yes, screw you, buddy. Like I would give anything not to be sick. So I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm tongue in cheek with health is overrated. But what I, what I found was there, there's another option. There's much more than just striving to be healthy. And I personally struggled to be healthy my whole life. And I was never presented with another option until I realized, you know what? I'm going to stop struggling to be healthy. I'm going to really shoot for vitality. I'm sure we'll get into what exactly that means and how I got there in this conversation. Jump yeah, well, why don't we just, we just don't jump in? Because I think one of the major difference, there is a difference between health and, and vitality. So, so let's, let's start off with, you already kind of mentioned like what the definition of health is. Like if you just look it up, but, but what are the major differences? Like if you change your approach and say like, I want to be vital, vital instead of healthy, where, where, where do the major difference start? Yeah. So vitality defined is, is exuberant physical health or mental vigor, the capacity for the continuation of a meaningful and purposeful existence and the power to grow, like sign me up for that. Like, <laughs> I, I want that. <laughs> and so how does, how did, how do we, how do we access that? Like, how, how do we live a life of vitality versus a life of health? Well, the way I did it was I started to ask why to every single, I would say, accepted belief structure around what's health. For example, I struggled with a lot of orthopedics where my journey started. So, you know, physical therapy, orthopedics, fitness. I mean, I, I, I was in that world in such an intense way five orthopedic surgeries. My orthopedic surgeon was my best friend at a point in time. I think he had a boat that said Matt on it. Good guy. You know what I mean? Like, but, but man, I was always injured. And one thing that I remember after my body was breaking down, I, I could, I had to stop playing baseball when I hit high school. It was probably, that was my first sport that I had to stop. And I had to quit soccer junior year. Soccer and basketball, I was getting recruited to play in college. So I was playing at a relatively high level. I wasn't going to be a professional in either one, but, you know, I was decent enough to, to leverage it for college, right? And then basketball, my career ended a month before my senior year, 40 points away from high school. And so you can imagine how frustrating that was for me uh, because I was always injured. So I went on this mission to get as strong as possible. So I, I dove into, okay, what do I need to do to get my body strong? So I followed the, health, the paradigm, the fitness paradigm. And I got big, I got strong. I took every guru, 
strength coach, Olympic. I mean, I took every core seminar I could get my hands on, traveled all over the place to learn. And I had a, a game changing moment at one of my, I would call it my peak fitness level. I was in New York City. I was early 20s and I was with my buddy. And I was going for a personal record on the military press. And the military press, you guys know, you kind of sit on that bench, press the bar over your head. And I was probably the strongest I'd ever been at that point. And I was about to lift a lot of weight, 315 pounds over my head, which is a lot. And I got on the bar, felt really good. My buddy helped me unrack this thing. I press it over my head. I, I nail it, rack it. And I'm like, oh my God, I finally arrived. Like I'm finally strong. I've overcome all these injuries and all these things people told me I'm broken and so on and so forth. I took three steps away from the bench, guys, and my whole right arm went like this. I couldn't move. It was like my arm was hanging off of my upper arm. It was not good. Not a good scene. And I had to like hold my arm up with my other arm just to take off some of the pain. It was brutal. And so I was like, okay, I think my elbow exploded. Like, I don't know what other conclusion to come to here, but it's, 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 it's done. And I already had one surgery on it and, but felt like I overcame it doing the things that I was told to do. So long story shorter, <laughs> I went to my orth, went to my orth, called my orthopedic. He was on speed dial. So it was easy to get in touch with him. And I'm like, Hey man, we, I need to go into surgery. Like ASAP, like my elbow, like I can't, I can't even touch it. It's hurt so bad. So I go on to see him get the orthopedic evaluation, x-rays, did all the things. And he came into the room and said these words to me and it changed my life. This is what set me on the trajectory of vitality. He said, Matt, x-rays look good. I don't see anything wrong in your elbow. Wow. Wait, wait. I, I thought maybe he was talking to somebody else in the room. <laughs> wait, <but laughs> are you talking to me? Because you're not talking about this elbow. Like, what are you talking about? Like, how could you possibly say that? And so what I realized in that moment, after being so immersed in the medical model, fitness model, et cetera, I was like, man, these guys don't have all the answers. And I really don't think they have the ability to get me where I want to go. And so I got obsessive about trying to find answers. My wife and I got Brusser. We've been married for 20 years. We've been together for 22. We've moved to married. And I, I've just been on this mission, she's been there with me trying to get answers to questions. So just to give you an example here of what I discovered about the, the fitness, physical therapy, all this model, one of the foundational flaws is everything is based on cadaveric anatomy. And so what do I mean by that? What I mean is that cadaver? Cadaver. So a cadaver is basically a, a corpse. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, right? And so if you go to, you know, fitness, physical therapy school, chiropractic, like all those schools, they're all rooted in cadaver anatomy, meaning we studied a cadaver and we looked at the biceps and said, okay, it originates here, inserts there, the hamstring, same thing. It, it originates in my pelvis, inserts on my tibia. And then we looked and said, oh, when we shorten this muscle, it flexes the elbow. Oh, when I shorten the hamstring, it flexes the knee. And so we wrote it down and then we built all these programs based on that. But the problem is that only happens on a dead person. <laughs> like my hamstring is not flexing my knee when I'm throwing a baseball. My bicep is not flexing my elbow when I bend. Like that's not what it does. I, I, I use an analogy in my book that 
saying that the hamstring's job is to flex the knee is like saying a mom's job is to change diapers to a mom and see what happens. You'll get smacked across your head, right? It's an insult. It's an insult to say the hamstring flexes the knee. It is infinitely more complex and way more complicated than it's knee. So if someone has a hamstring strain, for example, you know, you could Google exercises for hamstring strain and you'll see the same three stretches and the same exercises that are all isolate muscles and, and try to uh, enhance their cadaveric function, meaning they try to get the hamstring to be stronger at flexing the knee, the quad to extend the knee. And we're so off base here that this is what I first discovered. And until I understood what's called chain reaction biomechanics from people way smarter than me, by the way, I didn't figure this out and really understand, well, what is the hamstring doing here? Right. Or the canned idea that if you have low back pain, oh, it's because your core is weak and your hamstrings are tight. That's the problem. And so we do bridges and we do these clam exercises and we stretch our hamstrings and that's supposed to help our back pain. It, it, it's, it's so oversimplified and so off base. I, I can't even, I, I understand why 90% of the population is back pain. Right. So when someone has back pain, as an example, sorry, I went to the and I'll shut up. <laughs> When someone has back pain, the question should be, when do you have back pain? Because right. somebody that has back pain, when they turn in a chair and rotate to the right versus someone that has back pain when they bend over and pick something up, their rehabilitation program should look nothing alike. Interesting. So I, I, I want to freeze frame a second on the cadaver anatomy. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, It's a very interesting theorem, man. Now that you mention it, I'm looking back. Yeah, the research has been done on basically that people. So I, I'm curious to know when you figured that out, and obviously you've done deeper research and more scientific research, what would you say in, in layman's terms or one or two core differences between that person's physiological anatomy versus someone who's alive? Like where does, where, what is it? Is it like blood flow? Is it a certain nerve or energy? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the list is long. Let me just put it that way. But just think of, think of on, right? When the system is alive, yeah, blood flow, the nervous system, your brain, your, your, your nervous system and your brain are responding to the environment and they're responding to tasks. So if I was to boil down one of the biggest differences, how many times today have you guys thought about firing any muscle that went through your desk? Like firing muscle. Like and... Meaning like, I'm going to grab my water. Okay. Tricep, extend elbow, wrist, extend, hand muscles, grab. Yeah, right. It, it, it happens like so. It's automatic. Yeah. It's a, re it's a response. It's in reaction to a conscious task. The system was designed to react to conscious tasks. Okay, a cadaver, <laughs> that ain't happening, right? And so we are dissecting this dead thing and trying to come to, trying to create this story about what happens when it's alive. It's insane when you really think about it. Okay, but that, that some people might hate me for this, but <laughs> maybe, maybe it explains, no, maybe for me it explains why I don't, I would prefer playing sports over going to the gym. Most people do. 
much because when I play sports, I kind of go through certain activities, certain movements where I can react and my body can react versus going to the gym, training the same muscle every time and being like, yeah, like running, for instance, I, I don't understand why people would go on a treadmill because I would rather run anywhere than on a treadmill. So, so I do now want to know, like, if we're talking about vitality, what, because we always want to quantify things. And I think that's also something that you try to get more awareness of why it could work or couldn't work. How would you, because if the definition of healthy is like not being sick, what, what would be the definition of, of vitality? To me, it's living my life to the fullest. It's living a meaningful and purposeful life with, like I said, mental vigor, strength, and giving me the ability to, to grow, expand, and learn. Like to me, like life is, a, is, this evol- is this journey of learning, growing, and expanding, and like living life to the fullest. It's not about making sure I don't get hurt. Okay. It's about freaking, we have one shot at this thing as far as I know, and I want all, I want to experience all of it. And so give me the tools, give me the paradigm so that I can make that happen. I don't want to play it safe personal. I, and I'm not saying to be reckless. Okay. So we're not, we're not talking about being reckless here. I'm talking about a different paradigm, a paradigm of, of extracting what I can get out of life being mindful, not being stupid and reckless. But to me, that's different than, okay, what do I do to not get sick? I, I feel like we're missing the mark here. And again, I'm not saying throw all of that away. I just think we also need to take into consideration these other things. And here's the other, I'll just call it unintended consequences of the health model. Other thing that's going on there is it does create dependency on the model. And it, and it doesn't necessarily empower people. Most, if you take a deep dive into the spaces of health and wellness, systemic health, and mental emotional stuff, the system creates dependency. And what I mean by that is it's not about why do you have a headache? It's take this pill. It's not about, you know, how do I dive into why you're not sleeping? It's like, hey, just take this pill for the rest of Right? I thought you were saying it creates the financial dependency as well, because one of the fewer well, comments, your injury financed your, 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 <laughs> your orthopedic foot. So. Well, that too, Jean-Luc, I, I, I don't think that's, that's that it, like, right? Like they'll say, heard in some circles, there's no money in finding a cure for something. The real money is finding a medication that someone with the sickness would have to take for the rest of their life. So if you just talk from strict business, yeah, it would be foolish to give you something that cures you. It's much better to give you something you need for the rest of your life. Let's be, let's, let's be it's, it's a fact, right? So does that mean everybody's evil? No, but it is the system and we need to understand. I, I, I want to pause on, on uh, that for a, a second. You also have a background in psychology, so I, I want to... Uh, draw the parallel this you know uh, between you know physical figure and mental figure and like what parallels do you see that the you know the, the mental side has on you physio you know physically like some people are you know depressed stressed 
And that's more a mental state and it, it affects them physically. And whereas we go back to the cadaver anatomy, that's like just physical stuff, right? So could, could you tell us more about that interaction between the mental sure. and the physical? Yeah, so I call it the trilogy of vitality. So in my book, I write about these three components, the physical, the systemic, which systemic to me is like, you know, the food you eat, the water you drink, the area. It's all the things that impact us systemically. And then to your point, Diego, there's the mental and emotional psychology mindset. Those are the three components that like if somebody comes in to be because their shoulder hurts. I go through all three of those components because to your point, it may not have anything to do biomechanically with their shoulder. It may be something else. It could be systemic. It could be a, an extremely stressful event. I'll tell you a story where a woman came in to just drive your point home, Diego. She came in and she had, she came in with shoulder pain for me to help her with her shoulder pain. And I did my evaluation. I always look at all three of those components. I don't just assume everybody's shoulder pain is biomechanical. And so I went through my evaluation and what I found was there was no position or motion that I could put her in that consistently caused pain. So that's a yellow flag for me. It's like, hmm, it's not mechanical, right? It's nonspecific. And so I dug a little deep, right? She ate pretty well, right? I didn't see any major systemic things. It's not like she was eating McDonald's seven times a day or whatever. So I noticed that on her, on her intake form, she had like other areas of her body that were and sore. So when I started to ask her about her back and her neck and other things, she said, yeah, same story, nonspecific. But the only thing I noticed was, this is a true story, okay? The only thing I noticed was all of her symptoms arose around the same time. And so I sent her, I said, hey, did anything happen a year and a half ago, like a year ago, like when this onset, like did something go down? I'm not joking, you guys. She goes, no, not really. Well, we did find my mom dead in the swimming pool. I said, excuse me, wait, what did you say? Wait, I thought I missed her. No, that was what happened. And I said, well, have you talked to anybody about this? She goes, why? Do you think that might have something to do with it? I said, yes, I do. Because, and I, I said, did you talk to anyone about it? And she goes, no, it wasn't necessary. I accepted it. Dog. As I was like, yeah. What what she did do, my perception is she internalized all that emotion and all of that experience. And to your point, Diego, it it doesn't go anywhere. It it manifests and it, it influences our physiology and our you know our, our our physical the whole across the board. So to answer the question. The mental and, mental and psychology state I have found is the one that can trump the other two. Meaning you can have somebody that's physically fit, eats really well, but does not know how to manage what's happening mentally and emotionally. And we can talk about that too, because there's lots of things out there that I have not found to be helpful for people. And they're a wreck. And then I'll find people. I wrote, a, I wrote a couple of case studies in my book about this. Somebody, one particular gentleman that comes to my mind, he was a physical train wreck. <laughs> okay. I mean, this guy was in the war. He was 80 years old. I'll never forget him. His name is Jimmy D. God bless you, Jimmy D. He's not with us anymore, but I learned so much from this man. 
because he, he, he was physically like his feet were barely, I could barely even say his feet were feet. You know, they are so beat up systemically. He done so I'm not joking. He had a, an entire sheet of paper of all the medications they had him on. So I'm like, oh my God, this, this guy's like a chemistry experiment. But he was the most grateful, joyful, I think loving human being. One of the one, one of the most I've ever met. The guy was more functional than some of my 35 year olds. He was more capable, and I attribute that to the power of his mindset. And just the, you know, there was a reason why he got there. We don't have to get into it here, but but without question, Diego, I think you nailed it. That, in my experience working with people for the last two decades, without exception has the greatest influence, even though almost three are factors. Okay, I quickly want to jump into what you mentioned because I, when I was playing my highest level volleyball, for instance, I would have back pains as well. And I had these exercises that made me, and my back was at that time physically like in top shape, but I did have back issues. And then I started realizing like, hey, wait a minute, I only have back issues when I stress. So I started using the signals from my back as moments that I was like, as soon as I felt back pain, I would just stop. I would tell to my friends, family, I would be like, hey, guys, I'm out for today. I would go lie down, do nothing. And I never took a pill for it. I never had to do on a certain diet, anything. It always worked. Until at a certain point, I was able to recognize like, hey, my body is telling me I should stop now. Mm -hmm. And since I've listened to that, I never had any severe back pain ever again. So for me, that the, the, the mental part is, is something that people so heavily, and I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit more about it, so heavily overrated. But you mentioned something that did intrigue me a little bit, which is you've changed location 18 times in the car. <laughs> So I don't know how deep you want to dive into that, but yeah, as deep as you want to go, man. Is there, is there a backstory behind that? No, the, the backstory is literally, I, I realized that I wasn't going to learn what I wanted to learn in the traditional model. I had to find people that were doing things differently. I mean, so if I found a practitioner, a course, anybody that I perceived were sticking outside of the traditional model, I attached myself to them. And I, there wasn't anything I would, was, I was willing to do whatever it took to be with these people. And some of them, it didn't go well and others were amazing. And I mean, like you learn, you live and learn, right? One of my most influential mentors, my most influential mentors, I was a, so wife and I lived in Florida and I don't know if you remember, but it was probably like maybe 15, 20 years ago, there's the East coast of Florida got bombarded with a bunch of hurricanes and I had a small little training studio that got wiped out by the hurricane and I was still trying to find myself, still trying to find answers to these questions. Didn't really have a lot of direction. I was taking courses, but I still hadn't found spot yet, I would say. And so I was like, man, to my wife, I was like, you know what? I guess I'm just going to go to chiropractic school because I don't know what else to do. And I feel like I need to be a, have a real job because we're going to have a family. So I can't keep trying to find myself. And so we moved up to Northern Florida where the Palmer Chiropractic is in Port Orange. And about a half, about a month from starting chiropractic school, I got on the phone with a gentleman 
that I was like one of his like groupies. At, at, he was a teacher at the National Academy of Sports Medicine. And I would take all of his courses. And I just loved the way he taught. I loved the way he thought. And he also kind of would always talk about being the profession. I was almost like, yes, we do need a new profession. And so I actually caught up with him a month before chiropractic school. And he's like, hey, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, man, I'm going to chiropractic school. I'm going to else to do. And he goes, you don't want to be a chiropractor. I go, no, I don't, man. <laughs> I don't know what else to do. Tell me where to go. I'll go anywhere to find out what I want to, what I want to learn. I don't know where to go. Tell me. And he's like, well, I've been learning from this gentleman. His name is Gary Grace. When I said change national biomechanics before, and I learned from people that were way smarter than me. Gary Gray and Dave Tiberio, they have the Gray Institute now. And I would say those guys, the ones that really asked this question that I asked myself and then figured it out, what is the hamstring doing? Lenny, my hooked up with him, was like, Matt, here's what's going on. I'm learning this thing. It's a completely new paradigm. I think it's going to be a profession. He's like, why don't you come out and study with me while you're in chiropractic school? And I said, sure. He goes, send me your schedule. So I sent him my schedule and it had me flying out to see him every other week. And he's like, are you married to Florida? Like, do you have to? Like, why don't you just come out here? We'll learn together and start something out here. I think I showed up on his door and his doorstep was next to the next day. You know, God bless my wife. And like, you know, so that's what had us moving was I call myself a mentor junkie. When I find who's, who's, who's able to, to produce, create that I want to create for people, I find out what their favorite coffee is, and I, I, I try to make, make them want me around them as much as possible and just learn from them as much as I can. So that's what I did. I had a lot of swing and misses, man, trust me, but it, but it was all worth it. Were all these within the states themselves? Did you have yes. any experience abroad? As far as these, these says, no, I have, I have studied abroad, but not in this context. Mm. Yes. Okay, so how many how many states? <laughs> no, no, I, I we are geographical junkies, so we want to know like, what, how many states and which states were the most surprising? We're not gonna go for the best, but which states were like the biggest culture shock? Because even in in, in the U.S., you have culture shocks sometimes when you move yeah. from state to state. So which which one is like you're looking back and like, wow, I didn't realize how much of a change of scenery that would have been for me. Yeah. So, I mean, we, my wife and I both grew up in New Jersey. Okay. But then they happened. So those were the first two states. And we lived in a bunch of different places in New Jersey, New York. And then we lived in Florida, different places. And then we lived in California in a bunch of different places. So those were the three big states. I mean, growing up in the Northeast, Jersey, New York, you know, there's a certain, and you might, might get a vibe from me. I might have that little bit of, you know, intensity about me that comes from the Northeast of the United States. You know, there's a little bit of a, you know, an energy and a vibe there. There are definitely parts of California, which are the opposite. They're just very chill, mellow. What I eat back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and not, I'm not saying that's bad. No, yeah. but it's a big difference from the New York style of up temple move. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen that firsthand. All right, no, that that's a interesting tidbit. But to come back to you know the the vitality part, and mainly as we shift the conversation of, from the physical to the the more mental, one of the things I've seen in in 
I briefly scrubbed through some of the videos you, you had on YouTube. And one thing that stuck out was one of the principles about ownership, right? Taking ownership. And can you elaborate on what it means to take ownership and how that framework mentally can help someone, you know, achieve that vitality, that physical spunk that you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think this concept of ownership probably started in the late 1950s, to my knowledge. A gentleman, Sykes Rotter, I believe John, if I'm not mistaken, but he came up with this concept called locus of control, if you've heard of this concept. And so a locus of control is basically a, a something he observed about people, a way of looking at the world, a way of approaching the world. One was an internal locus of control, which was, you know, I'm in control of my destiny, essentially. Like I have the power the choices, I can learn, I can grow, very similar to Carol Dweck's growth mindset idea, right? I would say those all the same. An external external locus of control is, you know, I'm, I'm a victim, right? Or these things are happening to me, there's nothing I can do. Now, let me just say that we're all going to kind of go back and forth to those places. Nobody is at one place or the other, right? In some spaces in our life, we have that internal locus control. In some spaces, we're like, we have the external one. So internal locus control, growth mindset, and ownership to me, they're all kind of play together. And it, it gives you power. It makes you have control over the things you have control over. And so maybe some of you guys have read Jocko Willink. He wrote the book, Extreme Ownership. I mean, I love that idea. Obviously, in one of the most intense environments, you could probably voluntarily put yourself into. Yeah, uh, dealer, right? yeah, exactly. And saw some things. So, how did he manage complete chaos? And 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 at ninety-five percent of the things that were going on were completely out of his control. How did he navigate that? Extreme ownership. So so owning what I have control over. So what's that? It's how I perceive things and the actions I take right? How I respond to something. So if I'm thriving my life, then I get to steer this. If I don't own that, I'm having, I'm making, I'm having an influence on all aspects of my life. And I put the power into somebody or somebody else as the reason I'm having an experience I'm having, then I'm just hoping everything works out. Right? And so this can, this could happen in relationships. When I work with people in relationships, one of the most common things I get, you know, is somebody coming to me and saying, could you help me fix my husband or wife? Can you help me fix my kids? Right. And, and some of them don't like to hear this. And some of them are like, yeah, this is what I want. I want to talk about my kid. Like, yeah, but, but that's not, if you're going to pay me to try to get your kid to do what you want, like I'm not your guy. Let's own your your influence in the space with your child. What's the impact you're having? Because if you want to influence, you got to talk about what you have control. If you want to create a certain experience of life, vitality or whatever, you have to own the fact that you have the ability to create that. Right? If I am not in control of my destiny, my life, then I might as well, you know, we were talking before, do you go to Vegas, roll the dice, hope it all works out, right? <laughs> So ownership to me is essential to creating my talent. It, it makes me think of, what's it? Think, think and Grow Rich? Yeah. Uh, Napoleon Hill. Napoleon and Hill. He, 
it, it kind of starts off with, with these two envelopes. Like you get to choose which envelope you want, which is, is are you just going to have all the negativity in your hand or are you going to have all your positivity in there? And it kind of, you already mentioned that the ownership and the, the growth mindset are very much intertwined. And so for, for somebody who is just listening to this conversation is like, Hey, wait a minute. I, I want to change from, Oh, I'm healthy when I'm not sick to taking actual control. Like a lot of us, we don't know what our opportunities are. Like I instantly think like, okay, but what do I want to achieve health wise? Do I want to have a good physique when I'm 40? Do I want to be able to play basketball with my son when he's a teenager? So you, you, go, you go towards those kind of things, but the, the question always becomes, where do you start? So what, what, would, what would you advise people that they, they just had the aha moment, but they are just completely lost where they have to start? <laughs> yeah, it, it really is not settling. And, and, and giving yourself permission to create whatever is most important and meaningful to you. And, and, and asking people, like when I ask people, what do you want? What do you want to create? The most common answer I get is, I don't know. Okay. Or they immediately tell me the 50 things they don't want. Right. And so, and so I'll literally get on the phone with somebody and be like, or I'll be talking to somebody and say, Hey, so how can I help you? What would you like to create? And I have a rule, a half hour. That's all I'll allow you to bitch on and complain about everything in your life and what you want to eliminate. Right. Pardon my French. I'm sorry. But like, but out of 30 minutes, after they tell me about all the things that are, that they don't want in their life, I say, all right, I got you. Thank you. But do you remember my question? And the answer is usually no. I said, I hear you. What do you want to create? What is it? Where do you want to go? What's the ultimate outcome? Right. But because of the health model, to your point, Jean-Luc, it's like, well, I just don't want to get diabetes. I don't want to die of cancer. I don't want this. I don't want that. I don't want to have back pain. I don't want to be like my mom who's, who's crypt. Like, okay, I got it. So let's assume none of that's happening. What would vitality look like? What do you want to do? Your point. I want to be able to play soccer with my kids. I want to be able to, you know, continue doing the things I love doing for the rest of my life. Great. Let's talk about what those things are. What are those things? Okay. And let's start moving in that direction. Yeah, to, to, to your point on, you know, the, the health model, it's, it's kind of approaching obstacles in an inverse way, right? You, yes. you approach it from the byproduct, the, the, exactly. the, the result, the negative, yes. uh, you need to fix this. And to your point on Jocko's example of, you know, extreme ownership, I, I remember watching one of his clips and I, I think it's reference to the book, Extreme Ownership, but. Basically, when something happens to you, he had a very practical internal monologue. You know, you didn't get the job and the, the, the default response was good, right? Yes. Good, comma, but now I have time to uh, learn more ab about something. So like, I, I thought that was a very powerful model. Have you come across any like internal monologues, like simple tweaks for people that can, you know, internalize from yourself, like put into action tomorrow or like the next right. minute? when things happen that we don't expect, right? Or right when, when shit happens, right? So two things that I, that I have implemented for myself and definitely help clients to do is no matter what happens, I assume that it's happening 
for a reason that aligns with what's most important to me. So I changed the context, and this is not my thing. It's out there. Uh, it's not happening to me. It's happening on my behalf. It's happening for me. And that's here to move me towards what's most important. So that's a question that I've asked myself plenty of when something happens. It's just happened to us recently, COVID. And this is how I positioned all the businesses I was working with when COVID happened. I said, I hear this is happening. What's the opportunity though? Because there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity to pivot your business and grow right now. So the companies that that stopped and said, okay, what's the opportunity here? Yeah, it's not what we planned. It's not what we projected. It's exactly the opposite. And all the strategy we put together for the year, throw it out the window. So let's start over. Great. So what's the opportunity? The goal is the same. What's the opportunity? We have a new playing ground. We have a new field, which is new opportunities. And so if we could stop and ask ourselves, what's the opportunity? We can position the mind to, to, to find the opportunities. I mean, this literally happened with my wife and I we moved into a house we were renting. It was our definitely settled to the category of our dream house. We rented this house. We talked to the landlords and we're like, you guys are ready to sell this. It's exactly the house we want. And they're like, great, 2023, you know, is when we're planning on selling us. Great. That's what we're going to push vibes. Perfect. Well, then 2020 happened, right? And uh, the whole world <laughs> shut. And they called us and we're like, sorry, we need to sell this thing. And we're just like, oh, and I had my pity party. I was like, oh, it never works out. And every time I think it's going to be good, it's not. And, you know, and I went into my little temper tantrum and fit. And, you know, and my lovely wife says, Matt, don't you tell people that there's always an opportunity and to try it, to can hold up the mirror. Yeah, you got it. Exactly. That's what they're there for, right? And I'm like, yeah, I have said that. Have <laughs> and so, and you say, you know, why aren't we focused on what we have control on? I go, yeah, okay, this is probably a good time. Thank you for the reminder. So we took all of the resources of the stress response, which we can talk about later if you want, and, and directed it into the position of, all right, well, what's the opportunity that's presented to us that might actually accelerate us towards our goal? And so we took on that mindset, we took on that framework, and we came up with some ideas. Make a long story short, we talked to the landlords, we got them to give us a little bit more time to get our finances together because we weren't exactly in a position in that moment to pull the trigger, right? And so we're like, can you give us some time? They gave us enough time. We pre-negotiated a, 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 a purchase price at the, that time. We gave them some money to hold it, knowing that we could lose it. Well, I think many people know what happened to the market the next, the, over that next year. Well, because we kind of took the time to take a step back and say, what's the opportunity? How can we leverage this opportunity? We bought this house at 50% of the value of the house a year and a half later. We literally bought the house 50% less of the market value. Okay. So- well. Yeah, wow is right. Now, could I have ever predicted that, guys? Okay, here's how we're going to buy the house, honey. We're going to start saving, wait for a global pandemic, and then we're going to re-pivot, and then we're going to be able to get in the market when the market crashes. Like, perfect plan, right? Like, that's how I have it backed out. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> right? But there's no way we could have pivoted if we didn't own what we had control over. and reframe it like you said it's okay wait what's the opportunity let's assume this is happening so we can move faster in the direction let's not assume that it's happening 
as an obstacle and oh God, it never works out, which is where I went first, just to be clear, right? I needed my life to ah! snap out of it, dude. <laughs> I, I want to quickly jump in something you mentioned where you were like, we can talk about it later, which we won't because we're already kind of close to the hour mark. So you mentioned stress response, if I heard it correctly. Yes, you're correct. So can you talk, tell us a little bit, because like, it's, it's basically how do you respond? How, how, what, what's the approach to stress re response? Yeah. And this is probably one of the biggest, this, I took a deep dive into the personal development field for the last 10 years. So that was, I, w I actually was part of building this company, and, you know, didn't work out. I left it last time. Research on these topics. And one of the things I'm finding that's very common in the personal development and psychological mindset spaces that is very, it's, it's not as far as to say it's very destructive, is looking at stress as a bad thing that you're trying to avoid. Some of the newest research out there, which is absolutely fascinating. If, if, you t if people listening to this do nothing else, but, but, but go and look up Aaliyah Crum and K Kathy McDougal, Kelly McDougal, you know, you'll get a ton out of this. <laughs> okay? They are on the map right now. They, they, I mean, Aaliyah Crum and her crew, Stanford, Stanford professors and neuroscientists, are basically coming up with what they're calling the stress mindset theory. And what they're finding is that, because there's a paradox of stress, right? There is clearly a ton of research on how stress is bad for your health, can kill you, bad for performance, well-being. I think we can all agree that we don't need to see the studies, right? You're like, yeah, no, I, I got that one, right? But then there's this other evidence that stress increases performance, actually up-levels our ability to be healthy and resilient, and increases our well-being. So which one is, is stress helping us or hurting us, right? And what they found was there was one variable that determined whether you went to the side of leveraging stress as, a, as an asset or it becoming a liability and, and, and killing you, like literally to, to the point of health, pushing health, was how you oriented to. If you looked at stress as something that was bad, mitigate, you have to avoid it. And you're stressed, you're like, oh, okay, I just have to breathe and it'll go away. How do I not stress myself? Let me go meditate. Okay, let me go take a bath. I just got to de-stress. I got to de-stress. I got to de-stress. That's the very thing that actually they have found with studies of arterial walls. What has the arterial walls constrict in stress response? And, and, and the same people that are inside of the stress response, adrenaline, cortisol, and all these things, their, their arterial walls aren't contracting. And what they found was, was how someone looked at it. If you looked at it as something your body was doing to support you, to address a situation that needs to be addressed, that it's actually there as a partner to help you, because that's all the stress response is, if you think about it. The system is, is mobilizing resources to address something that's important. And what they found was, do you know what the prerequisite to stress is? I will tell all you and all of your listeners the secret to never being stressed because there's one thing that has to be in place in order to be stressed, only one. Let me ask you this. Were you guys stressed out about the Yankees, New York Yankees almost losing to the Cleveland Indians in the World Series? Did you guys sleep over that? 
No, yeah. we're not U.S. based, so no. <laughs> Well, my point is, why weren't you stressed about it? Because you we didn't care. Don't care. Exactly. You have to eliminate the caring to eliminate stress. Okay. Caring is an important thing. Right. And so if the game is to eliminate stress, then what we're actually teaching people to do is to stop caring. And that can be dressed up as acceptance. Oh, I just accept everything as a way to turn off the stress response, which you can't turn off because it's a communication. It's a yeah. communication. It's something wrong. And right? it can also stick out something right. negativity. Like, oh, yeah, this person doesn't care. It's a negative outlook. Well, that's exactly right. And, and you'll see some people, and I don't blame these people that have been like, I just don't care. I just don't care. Forget it. I don't care. Why do people do that? Because it's the last option to just de deconnect it basically creating a dose dissociation, disconnecting from your emotional communication system that's telling you, hey, be careful. And to extremes, when you really disconnect from your emotional communication system, it's not pretty, man. I mean, the extremes is a sociopath. Yeah. So right? I, I just want to wrap, uh, summarize what, what I just heard there and kind of link it, what we mentioned in the beginning on, on that mental model, overcoming the physical, right? Yes. So what, what what you're saying or what I've heard is basically stress as a that the variable in stress and how people react or how the body reacts to it is in orientation, it's the outlook on it. So that's a mental thing, right? 100%. And I also read, I think it's one of Tim Ferriss's book, The Concept of Stress. He also breaks it down into two types of stress, like stress on the negative side being distress and the other stress. one being stress. Yeah. So that's, and that's purely an outlook to fuel your performance and yeah so yeah this just goes back to the point made in the beginning that the mental model is very all three are important but the mental model can decide the direction on how you react it, to things. it drives right okay now okay. we get into like the last part that we have to discuss before before we can close this off which is Planning and time, because all this, it's always like, yeah, I want to do this. Mentally I'm there, I don't have the time. How can I, no, I can't figure it out. We also are going to shortly talk about your book. For me, my book process has been all of a sudden, like I can go from like consecutive days of writing, like completely having to drop it off because there are other priorities. You also mentioned the importance of, of understanding time better and, and making it matter more. So can you briefly also explain like how that plays an important role in vitality as well? Yeah. So making time matter more, I feel like is a principle that I orient to and teach in my classes and my clients. And it's, it's, it's about honing in on what's most important for a short period of time. So I kind of think of it as 12 week chunks because for me to commit to something in three years, five years. I don't know what I don't know, right? And, and what I think I want now, it may not be that in a year or two, especially younger, younger generations that I work with, people that come out of college and they're, they have this idea that I'm supposed to know what I want to do. You know, it's like, no, just what, what, what would make sense for you to commit to for the next three months, maybe nine months? Hey, try this job for a year. Make a commitment that you can confidently 
you know, I'll take on, right? And so this, this idea of, of living kind of shorter chunks of time, it allows, it allows us to put high focus on what's most important right now, okay? And so to, to answer your question about the book, and I was actually joking around with Diego, he's like, man, you've been writing your blog and then you wrote your book from your blog. I'm like, actually, no, I just started writing my blog when I, when I, after I wrote my book. And so when did I decide to write this book? It was actually April of this year. And it became the most important thing to get done in the next few days. It was the most important thing. And so I was clear that if I say yes to writing this book, I, I, in that moment, I'm saying no to all these other things. Right. And, and so another rule of thumb is every time I say yes to something, I acknowledge what I'm saying no to. And there are some things that are more important than others. I, I, right. And so there's, and there's this thing that everything's equally as part. No, it's not. Not all the time. Like, depending on where you are in your life, some things are going to be more important than others. And that's okay. And, and, and go for it. And so in that moment, what was most important to me was getting this book done. So I was like, okay, here are the things that are not as important. And so I'm not going to do those. So I just owned it. Like that to me is part of ownership, right? Now, was writing my book more important than getting up, getting my seven to nine hours of sleep, working out in the morning and taking care of myself? No, it wasn't more important than that because that is a non-negotiable for me, okay? But based on the resources I had at the time, that's a big part of time management is owning your resources. Well, how much time do you have? Do you even know? How much time you have? It's similar with money. People are like, "Well, this is how people usually, you know, make decisions on what to buy. Is there money in the account? Oh, there is. Okay, let's buy it." It's like, God, that's a terrible way to manage your finances. But time's the same thing because we just say yes to stuff, but we don't even know what we're saying yes to, and we haven't taken the time to ask, "Well, what are the resources required to make that happen?" And second. Do I believe I have those resources? So I literally sat down, John, and said, all right, this book is about, I think at the time I was shooting for 50,000 words because this is the first book I ever wrote. And I said, I was told it's nonfiction between 40 and 60. Okay, great. Let's go for it. So I was like, 50,000 words. Okay, 12 weeks. It's a mathematical equation. It's about 4,000 words a week. Okay, well, I think I can, I'm looking at my schedule and what I have, the resources I have. All right, it's, it's an hour and a half four times a week, a thousand words every time I sit down and write. That's what I'm shooting for. Well, believe it or not, I can't believe I'm publishing a book in December. Like I, I've met people in writing circles that have been trying to write their book for years, right? But, but because of, and we teach this, I have a habits course that would literally break this down for people and teach them how to go through this thing that I'm ripping through in, in three minutes here. But it's, it's getting really clear on what's most important. And then getting and owning, where are you spending your time right now? Like, what are you doing with your time, right? And then what are the resources to, to reality? Is it realistic? So on. And actually knowing your resources. So doing the math, like exactly. people say, you know, what am I ever going to use math on? <laughs> it's every day. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. There's so much more we, we would <laughs> like to get into, but we're kind of, you know, locked in some time. So just to 
wind down conversation a bit and maybe we can have a follow-up in the future because this is very intriguing uh the health stuff we usually have a section at the end of our show over under basically we'll, we'll throw some topics at you and you just tell us if you think it's overrated underrated no need to elaborate but sometimes okay. if it's a bit controversial yeah <laughs> you, you can briefly elaborate on it Shandok, how much how many do i think we can do there? one i think i think we can do one each and um, and and, buy, and close off with with future plans so if i would go for an overrated underrated i would have to ask meditation is meditation overrated or underrated Oof. I could create a narrative for either one, but what I'll say is, hey, it's being used out there. It's, it's being more used as discipline, in my opinion. Okay. Fair point. Interesting. Food for that. Definitely food for that. My over-under, more lighthearted. Foam rollers, underrated or overrated? I, I, I think uh, it's a big part of what I don't have somebody who's a skilled body worker i think everybody should have a foam roller soft tissues are one of our greatest assets physically because they have a shelf life and they adapt and they change and so foam rolling is a way to help manage that space if you don't have someone working on your tissues on a regular basis especially someone who's skilled so i would put it in the underrated just simply because i don't think people appreciate how valuable their soft tissues are how much we need to care for them because they're our greatest asset. I got to agree with you there. I got a foam roller two years ago. It was one of the best, like $10 I spent. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So Matt, you mentioned a couple of things. Of course, we briefly mentioned the book, which is coming out in December. You also mentioned the course that you have. So if people want to reach out to you, if they're like, hey, this is interesting. Where can I learn more? What's the best way to reach out to you? When does the book book go yeah. online? Where can people get it? Is yeah. it the time to give it as a Christmas present? Yes or no? Those are all yeah. the things you want to know. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll speak to where you can find me and what I'm up to. And I also have a special offer for your, for your listeners that I want to share with you guys. One, tulabasco.com is probably the best way to, to see what I'm doing out there. It's where all my courses are with people one-on-one virtually person across all aspects of vitality, trilogy of vitality, as I spoke about, whether it's physical energy, systemic health, or mental, emotional mindset, managing that. MatthewLabasco.com is great. I do have a YouTube channel. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, but I'm, I'm going to say I'm not wickedly active there. My blog is probably the thing I'm most consistent with right now, which is all at MatthewLabasco.com. And it's coming out in December. But what I wanted to offer your listeners, guys, is the first, the full that comes to our website, I'll send you a free copy of the book. Wow. Yeah. So it's Health oh, to Vitality. That, that's health, offer. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Health to Vitality is the, is, the, is the name of the book. And it's Liberate Tackles of Traditional Healthcare. And empower yourself to create a life of vitality and fulfillment. That's the book. So if if people to vitality.com backslash book giveaway and just leave email and then which podcast they'll put your podcast in, you know, social convos, and I'll do the rest. I I am extremely passionate about getting this information out to people because I just feel like there's so many people suffering unnecessarily. So it's my mission to get this 
just into the space, into the world and empower people and give them the ability to create their life the way they see it, the way they want to create it. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I just so put the link to the Diego put the link back there. Yeah. Housesvitality.com slash giveaway. And this is awesome. I don't know. I, there's so much more like Diego mentioned that we would love to talk about. It, it's been an amazing hour and we really want to thank you for coming on to Social Confos, giving us in a very informal way all the information basically we need to under better understand. And of course, if you're interested, if you've listened to this episode, if you watched it live or listened to this episode on the streaming platform and you're interested, make sure to check out Matthew's website as well. And Matthew, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, guys. I really love what you guys are up to and thanks for uh, letting me be a part of it. No, likewise, this was quite enjoyable from the intro to, and as you said, you know, time management, we, we try to keep it within the time frame and you have to be consistent with that. Yeah, maybe, maybe let's be the first of a few guys, right? And just keep it, see what happens. Going a health series, uh, <laughs> health, health combos. <laughs> yes. Uh, but with that being said, Sean, Luke, we're on schedule. I finally caught up to the two month publishing backlog we had. So we're on schedule. So uh, as I mentioned to Matthew before, so this one should be released by the end of the month on the website as well, convos.com, C-O-N-F-O-D-S.com and on the different streaming platforms. Sean, Luke, roll us out. Matthew, thank you. Awesome. This was Social Convos. See you back next week. Same place, same time. Bye-bye.